journey into our fine institute of rational thought here, Pete Callender Show. Chad Adams, your guest host. Glad to be here. WBT, phenomenal station. News Talk 1110-993. That WBT, the WBT radio. 570-1110. You want to get in on the conversation? Otherwise, you listen to the host, or at least this guest host. So, anyway. Continuing on down this uh, journey, and I, I, I'm going to share an opinion. I don't know that I agree with it. I think it's 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 very well thought out. It's a little long. Uh, in fact, I'm, there's no way I'm going to get through the whole thing. Man, it's really, really a long piece. But there is there is a lot of opinion that the Russians are really getting bogged down in Ukraine. Now, they have superior numbers. They have superior uh, air control, but they obviously have problems. They have serious problems. Unfortunately, a lot of people are getting killed in an effort that may not result in a victory. Remember, the Russians had to pull out of Afghanistan. We had to pull out of Afghanistan. It was a very different kind of war, though. They were trying to displace a group. We were trying to displace a group, but it wasn't a war on the country itself. This is a this is modern warfare. Two European countries going at it, and you know neither one of them have really been in any kind of substantive situation like this. A lot of logistics. And if you study history, one of the problems if you if you studied, for instance, the Civil War and Lee's march to Gettysburg, one of the issues that Lee had, you've got if you're taking an army all the way into Northern Territory, you've got to be able to supply that army. You've got to be able to to take care of that army going up and coming back. It's very difficult. It was ravaged the South's army when they tried to march up to Gettysburg. It was devastating, very difficult. So the Russians, in modern warfare, having similar problems. They've marched into this place. They've driven into it. They have superior, many aspects of superior stuff, but they weren't expecting a guerrilla warfare response. They weren't expecting to have to fight mile by mile. They weren't expecting to have any aircraft fire. They weren't expecting to have anti-tank weapons really deployed at them. They, they, they thought it would be easier, and the morale of the Russian troops, not very high. The equipment, not very modern in many instances. The ability to supply it, not working out so well. What does that mean? So this is a, it's from to put it bluntly.com. It's an interesting piece. So I'm just going to kind of go through some of it. It said, wars are unpredictable affairs. Experts can evaluate troop strengths and weaponry, but morale and courage do not lend themselves to quantifiable analysis, nor does leadership. Nobody can predict when a former KGB agent will become a psychotic or when a former comic will mutate from a Charlie Chaplin to a Winston Churchill, as we see in Ukraine. But allowing for the uncertainty, it now appears likely that Russia will lose its war against Ukraine. So the question becomes, how, and I'm digressing from the article, how would you define victory for the Russians? That they displace the Ukrainian president, put up a puppet regime, and they have friendlies that run the country. The problem is the Ukrainians have a national symbol. They have a national, national way of looking at themselves. It's just tough to replace an entire country's way of looking at itself when it wants that freedom. So even if they were to get that regime in place, it's still going to be fraught with peril and problems for decades to come. Russian forces, back to the article, Russian forces are running out of supplies. There are reports of hungry Russian soldiers looting supermarkets and gas stations, desperately looking for food and fuel. Russian rations have been found. In other words, when they blow up a tanker or a personnel carrier and they look at what the Russians are eating, those rations, have a lot of them have 2002 expiration dates on them. Now, the Russian military has been corrupt for decades. Obviously, that corruption is hurting their military bureaucracy. They have a 40-mile convoy that everybody's seen now. Not making fun of it. It's a, it's a devastating thing to see, but it's kind of bogged down. 40-mile convoy of armored vehicles 
The subject of much speculation has been stalled outside of the capital of Kiev for days, apparently unable to move. The reason may relate again to corruption. Reportedly, government officials bought cheap Chinese imitations of Michelin XZL military tires, and the shoddy merchandise is failing because counterfeits don't work too well. Cable television maps show expanding Russian penetration into the country, but appearances are deceiving. Ukraine is very large, and the Ukrainian defense forces are trading territory for time. The further the Russian advances are, the longer and more vulnerable their supply lines become. So while they can occupy more space, they're unable to capture many cities. Moreover, it's not clear whether capturing cities represents any kind of victory. Russian troops may blast their way way in, but once they're in, they lack the manpower to control In the southern city of Kherson, military units were greeted by defiant crowds jeering and calling them fascist. In one video, a local resident can be seen climbing on top of a Russian armored personnel carrier triumphantly waving the Ukrainian flag. It's hard to tell who's conquered whom. Russian has now committed all of the personnel mobilized for the invasion. There There aren't any more reserves. Russian casualties are much higher than expected. Ukrainian officials say it's over 11,000, while Russia puts the figures at about 500. Both figures are probably a little bit of propaganda, but the actual number doesn't really matter. What matters is that Russia has become so desperate for manpower that it's hiring Chechens and offering large cash payments to Syrians. They're bribing people to come fight for them. The bombing of civilian targets, however, inhumane is another sign of weakness. Let's do this. Great time to take a little break. Mary, we appreciate you calling the show. What's on your mind today? Uh, yes, I wanted to say that Putin is in desperate shape because, you know, uh, China gave us COVID. And he had to stay in that apartment for two years and not be around anyone. He knows that China gave it to him, but yet he keeps going back to China, so he must be in desperate shape. Uh, I, well, I think he is. I mean, he's, he's actually threatening. It's funny you mention that because he has threatened Europe. He said if the U.S. stops buying Russian oil, which is a huge moneymaker for them, they're going to cut off the Europeans. And the Europeans are so desperate for heating oil and, and natural gas that they can't afford to do it. We'll see what happens. But I do think it did not go as planned. And I do think you're right that, that Putin is in pretty serious trouble here. I don't know what the exit plan is going to be for him. But you're, I think you're right. It didn't go like it, it was supposed to. Um, Mary, I appreciate the call. Appreciate well, you being a part thank of the you. Uh, You're a great host. We really appreciate you coming on like this. Wow. Well, always appreciated. WBT's been great to me and the staff and Pete and Winterbull, all of them, Vince Coakley, uh, George, everybody's been wonderful to me. So I appreciate the call. I appreciate you listening. So uh, to that end, you have to wonder what the exit plan is going to be for Putin. So he's threatening, he's threatening Europe. So Europe's got to do a gut check and say, okay, can we sustain our lifestyles without Russia? That's what the, 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 the Europeans who have swung into climate change action and really limited their ability to, to have other sources of fuel oil and things. They're relying on the Russians. Can they live without it, at least for some time? The, the, the Russian economy's in free fall. China's trying to prop things up, and they're trying to create their own mon- monetary system. That's not working out too well. So there's just a, there's a lot of things working against it. And at what point do the oligarchs who help run Russia say, God, we really overextended ourselves here? Because I don't think they're, you know, Putin may want to restore the former glory of Russia and, and get those borders back in the, you know, back to the good old days, as he would say. But it is not a good look. From January to February, nearly every category of good and service in Russia got pricier. I mean, uh, you know, every, everything's going south for the Russians right now. It's not a good look. Um, the, pat, if you, the, the fact that they're bombing civilian targets, um, 
gosh, you got this. This article is so long. I would love to get all through it, but there's no way to get all through this. The pot, let's just, but let's add the China part into it because China is about the only real. Venezuela is an ally, but Venezuela has been in free fall economically for some time. Mineral rich though it is, it's in free fall. The Saudis aren't even taking President Biden's phone call. That's problematic. But the Saudis basically say, "Look, we're doing fine. We're not going to get dragged into your problem. It's not our problem. This is two European countries. We don't really care." China, another story, population 1.4 billion, four times that of the United States. GDP 10 times larger than Russia, 70% the size of America. But that one's there. We'll talk about China. Man. George, continuing to throw down some great ones. Much appreciation. Shout out to George there. Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Appreciate the call earlier. You want to get on the conversation? 704-570-1110-570-1110. We appreciate you being a part of things. Now, I was kind of talking about this perception that, so what if Russia loses? And, and I think there's many people that think they will. The problem, remember our own geniuses under the Biden administration, State Department, said the military said oh kiev would fall remember what they said but as the buildup was happening and no sanctions were enacted and no weapons were supplied to the ukraine there's plenty of oligarchs in ukraine too but as Zelensky was saying hey bad things are happening but the biden administration is going to happen tomorrow it's going to happen tomorrow it's going to happen tomorrow even the ukrainians were like it's going to happen on wednesday so we have national day and then it does happen and and, and, and then we start enacting sanctions. Then we start responding to what the Russians are doing. But I think now the, our genius is the military, and I don't mean anything. We have fantastic folks, but the, the, the leadership said Kiev would fall in 72 hours, that the war would basically be over in 72 hours. Nobody thinks th- thought we would be in day 15 of this, at least nobody up there in the Pentagon. But the Ukrainian people believed it. They still believe there's no, no way they're going to fall. I think many people in Europe are starting to believe, I don't think these Ukrainians are standing up. They've got some backbone here. They are standing up for their country. I have to wonder. You know, when I saw that, uh, there was a survey done last week. I wish I could recall the exact survey, but it was essentially, what would happen? How do Americans feel about this? And in the party break, and again, I didn't make this up, so don't scream at the host. I didn't. It was a a well-done survey. Scientifically sound. And many Democrats had said, you know, if it happened, they would just, you know, lay down arms. They'd be okay. I'm not going to fight for it. I'm not going to lose my life over this. And Republicans overall were very different. They're like, you know, it's worth. there are things worth dying for. Very shocking, but not. And you really think about it. Remember all those people who said if Trump got elected, they were going to leave the country, and then they didn't? It's easy to say stuff, isn't it? And I I do want to get to another. uh, uh, Vice President Harris continues to make some just – Remarks that are difficult to reconcile sometimes, and you wonder what she's saying. Sending her over there, I don't think helps matters or makes people feel more confident about the competency, the relative competency of our administrative ability to deal with things. I don't think she assures folks. But before we get back to the China and and, and their commitment here and where they are in the grand scheme of things, we're going to Nick. I believe it's Nick. Did I get that right? Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? I am fantastic. How are you, man? And man, if I was any better, I'd be a twin, but that's beside the point. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was just sharing with your buddy there. He said, what's your name? What's your comment? I said, well, just tuned in, and I'm sure I'm – he said, we're talking about the war in Ukraine. I said, well, 
my heart is breaking for everyone, the Ukrainians. The you know even I know this sounds twisted and and, and evil and bad, but a lot of the Russians are suffering also because of their leaders and what he's doing and the, the evil stuff that he's doing. He's killing babies. He's you know bombed a, a hospital yesterday, and I heard on on your station this morning a Ukraine some lady was on the pole and where she was, but she said there's an arm over here, a leg over here. A head severed over here. Oh my goodness! I I, I can't visual. I can. Oh, it's terrible. And so I'm praying that the good Lord above, Jesus Christ, will bring His angels, legions of angels, and just blow them all over. And and you know, just come back now. Come on back now, and let's just get all this stuff done with, Lord. Just bring it on. And let's 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 go to heaven. Let's claim your bride. Let's go. I'm ready. Well, uh, I appreciate you sharing that. And, and to your point, it's the people on the ground in Russia. If you can turn your radio down in the background, that'd be great. But the people on the ground in Russia, it's not their war. They are the victims of this in many ways, as you said. I think you said it correctly. They're, they're now economically suffering in a way that they didn't cause. It's, this is what happens when you have this kind of leadership paradigm where power is concentrated in the hands of a couple oligarchs and a former KGB guy. You're right. They are putting this war. And a lot of the people that are fighting, you look at them, they're they're starving, they're hungry, their equipment doesn't work. Uh, unfortunately, they're inflicting a lot of damage. And it's it's the it's the regular citizenry on both sides of, of these two countries that are paying the yeah. price. So I, I think I don't think that was horrendous what you said at all. I think you were spot on. And I appreciate you calling. Well, man, I appreciate you guys. I tried to get on with uh, Vince Coakley yesterday. I don't even know what time his show's coming on now, but... Uh, I didn't get through. That's okay. I met Vince at H.H. Gregg back in 2006. <laughs> he was buying some furniture. I helped him. But, uh, yeah, hey, I don't know if you remember or not, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm a U.S. Vince. Air Force veteran, so this kind of hits home. I don't know why we got our troops back over. Anyway, I hope it doesn't escalate. I hope and pray to dear Lord Jesus that it doesn't escalate and that we start losing troops. That's going to be ugly. It, it will be, and we don't need that escalation. And, and thank oh, you for the call. Vince is on from 10 to 12, and uh, we always, uh, the fans, uh, you guys, the listeners that, that make it that make it happen, uh, Vince and then you know Pete and, and all of them, uh, winnable after this. So we appreciate that. WBT always appreciates those. I think we're going to be taking a break here in a second. I do want to get to the China situation, and also I want to get to another Kamala. Kamala. Harris, our, sending our vice president, I, I don't know that it helps. I wish I could say that it helped, but I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that it does. We'll play a Kamala Harris clip after this, talk about China, and your calls always here. Chad, I'm sitting in for Pete Callender, News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Kicking things to the bottom hour to Mark Miller News. We'll be right back after this. See that? That's thumping intro music on an afternoon, a dreary cold afternoon in March. Snow's going to be somewhere west of here. We appreciate you listening, WBT. Pete Callender Show, Chad, I'm sitting in, visiting from the Institute of Rational Thought. Yes. News Talk 1110 99.3. Also, if you want to get on the conversation, 570-1110. That's 704 area code. 570-1110. Aren't you amazed when you walk into offices now, you look around and you thought, hey, I was told we were going to be paperless by now. And there's paper everywhere. And all of you in your own offices, you're like, I thought we were supposed to be paperless by now. 
Yeah, bureaucracies don't solve problems. They don't solve problems. They don't make things easier. They just don't. Now, uh, I do. I, I have a fun clip I'm going to play. Our, our genius vice president on the ground over in Europe saying things that as it continues. But I, I want to get to, there's a great column at toputitbluntly.com about the, the inevitable inevitability that Russia will lose the situation in Ukraine. Because it has to do with a lot with, depending on, as Clinton would say, what your definition of word is, is meaning what your definition of when might be. But when you look, so right now the Russians are the Russians are becoming ever more reliant on China, which is population 1.4 billion, four times that of the U.S., GDP ten times larger than Russia's, and 70 percent the size of ours. Unlike Russia, it's a high tech superpower. Domestically, China stops dissent, oppresses ethnic and religious minorities. Internationally, China threatens its neighbors and issues expansionist claims to the South China Sea. If America faces a threat from the Eurasian landmass in the 21st century, that threat is more likely to be China than Russia. That's true. But that's, you know, I don't know that when it goes house to house and things like, I don't see the Russians being able to pull this one off. And I don't see, I don't, I don't think any American in their right mind, other than neocons and neolibs, that want to see any kind of escalation with American warplanes flying over Ukrainian soil, shooting down Russian aircraft. That escalation is not one that ends well for us. This is in the Europeans' backyard. I think that you know if you cross over into NATO territory, it's a problem. But this, I think, is a problem for the Russians right now. They're weakening themselves, not able to supply their own people. Their economy's been crippled. It's 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 just horrendous. The images we're seeing now. Our genius vice president, I want you to hear what she has to say. I am here, standing here on the northern flank, on the eastern flank, talking about what we have in terms of the eastern flank and our NATO allies, and what is at stake at this very moment. What is at stake this very moment are some of the guiding principles around the NATO alliance. So the, the genius of our vice president, we're on the eastern flank of the western flank standing... Yeah, and again, it's kind of the worst thing about this. It's not. A, it's not. A, I don't want her to perform badly. I don't think any of us do. We need really solid diplomacy right now. We need people that can articulate clearly. And it looks like she just doesn't prepare for things. I mean, as much as people made fun of Dan Quayleisms, and I love when Harris says, "Oh, they're going after her because she's black and female." No, they picked on Dan Quayle relentlessly. But she just doesn't seem to be prepared. It's like she just goes into things and wings it. Now, it's one thing if you're really steeped in policy, you get it, you understand all of the the various cultures that are at work here. You understand the intricacies of NATO. You understand uh, Article 5. You actually didn't just say it. You actually read it and you understood it. You understand the fragility of NATO and how they haven't been paying their fair share as the former president. You could have supported the former president and said, hey, NATO needs to stand up here, and we're all with you. But she confuses it and conflagrates it in eastern western borders and where we are, and, and it just comes across as ill-prepared. And you merge that with the way the president's conducted himself through this. We don't look, we, we do not appear as a strong nation, or at least as strong as we should be. And that's a dangerous thing. Now, we are not the world's policemen. The world has changed. We don't need to be the world's policemen. You know, we got into intractable wars that we didn't need to be involved in. We don't need to be sacrificing American lives with no clear end in sight, with no clear mission at stake. We need to be very clear. We need to be tactical. We need to use alliances. We need to. Now, funding things, 
helping arms get there, getting the poles to to put MiG fighters into that theater of operation. That's their that's their choice. But the Europeans have a serious problem on their doorstep, and we can all we need to be we need to hope that this Biden administration can pull itself together and pull a rabbit out of its hat because the Europeans aren't really we're not doing a very good job of it. And sending Vice President Harris over there, ah, the best thing going for Ukraine right now is Ukraine. Is that is Zelensky being on the forefront of this thing, being out there, being the 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 guy that's captivating the hearts and minds of the global population. These images of hospitals being bombed, of women and children being horrific, as the caller earlier said, it's it's the kind of imagery we just don't hear much about. Thankfully, it doesn't happen as much. We don't have this. This this is a horrific, horrific. These are images Americans haven't seen or been a part of for for a long, long time. Vietnam era images, the kind of PTSD stuff. But this is an ill. The short end of that rather long article about Russia potentially losing this, the article is clearly stating it will. In the short run, the United States must stand by Ukraine and do all it can to ensure the survival and success of that valiant nation. In the long run, the U.S. stands to benefit from a healthy Russia restored to the company of civilized nations. The time for that restoration is not now, but it will come, and we should be ready. The Russians, if they lose, now, and you have to look at a, a, a post-Putin Russia. What does that look like? How does he hold on to power through this? Who knows? He clearly felt he had such a strong hold on the nation that he could withstand no matter what happened. But they clearly thought it was going to be over more quickly than it is. And unfortunately, when you start having to lob incendiary devices and and weapons of mass destruction, you, you start hurling those at civilian populations. That's not a sign of your strength. That's a sign of desperation. That's a sign that things aren't going well. Killing indiscriminately is not a typical tactic of warfare. Taking out command and control, that's warfare. Taking out communications, yes, that's warfare. But this, and then when you add the propaganda wars in here, the American right now one of the problems with the American public is we don't know who to believe anymore. After two years of a CDC that's been leading us astray, with an administration that can't say things straight, you, you, you know we have these weapons of mass distraction that are thrown on top of the destruction. So these weapons of mass distraction, this propagandized stuff, this, this spin – when a White House can't even answer questions with a straight face about what's responsible for gas prices. The truth is, yes, your war on your climate change war is causing gas prices to go up. The Russian situation isn't making it better. It's adding to it. But you guys started this. I looked at I was just looking at a chart of of the the inflation. This thing's been kicking off since Biden took over. It's been escalating every month. Many people are thinking we'd be at eight and ten percent inflation by May. Part of it is instability globally. Some of it is the inability to come out of COVID, but a lot of it is these policies strangling our ability to live, thrive, and survive, strangling our ability to move forward. And that's a shame. That's the the, the real shame of this is it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Having said that, as we get toward our last segment, you want to get in on the conversation, you feel free to give us a call. 704-570-1110. I know it's difficult to hear. A lot going on out there. And you people are folks that are wonderful. El Presidente. El Jefe. El Presidente Biden has issued a tweet about an hour ago while we were on the air. 
A large contributor to inflation this month was an increase in gas and energy prices as markets react to Putin's aggressive actions. I know that higher prices impact a family's budget, which is why I am fighting to bring down the everyday prices that are squeezing Americans. You don't say. Really? You are? How? What's happened? Nothing. Inflation's been going up since you took office, brother. Are you kidding me? I mean, I respect the office of the presidency, but come on. Stop with the spin because you're not even writing this stuff. So I love this. One of the answers to that is gas station voter registration (laughs) across New York between the 19th and 20th of March. They're going to register voters at gas stations across New York. I just thought that was funny. I I can't believe that. ah, Just bizarre stuff that's out there. Just bizarre. I mean, I don't know. It, it, it is a it is a strange time, but none, none of us want this to be the reality that that we live in. Nobody wants this to be. You know, we come out of COVID, we thought, hey, it's going to be. You know, let's put this thing back together. Let's roll on. Let's move forward. Let's. You know, we've identified who the tyrants are. We've identified the people that want to restrict freedoms. We know did the mask mandates work? I don't. I don't think there's any evidence to suggest they did. I mean, Biden, by the way, just extended the 30 day mask mandate for aircraft. It was supposed to expire, I think, next week. That's been extended. Don't know that it's going to work. But I, how do you feel about these things? You know, we don't want it to be this way. I think, and and so as we're heading, we have primaries, and I think there's a really good argument to be made. Primaries are more insider politics than anything else. But moving forward, as we head into the midterm, and may get into that great column on that. May wrap up the show with that. What what is it the Democrats are going to tell you that they have to provide? Is it tough on crime? There was there was no evidence. I mean, I, I love how they tried to retroactively say we were never for defund the police. Where did they, because that phrase didn't just get made up. It was it was propagated by the left across this country to act like they didn't say it. Oh, we didn't say it. Yes, you did. So you can't run on strong law enforcement. That's just not something you did. And plus, you look at the DA mayors on the left coast, and, the, and not the mayors, but the DAs on the left coast. They're not even enforcing stuff. Even in Philadelphia, they weren't. I mean, the the, the political left has serious problems across the board. So they can't be tough on law enforcement. They can't run at the national level that they're tough on border security because they have no evidence that they have done that. They, they don't, they're they going to run away from their green agenda. It's not going to be real popular when gas is $6 a gallon. It's not, going to be, it's not going to be popular for them to run on energy. It's not definitely not going to be popular for them on education because they're not necessarily in favor of school choice. They're not necessarily in favor of parents having more decision-making ability. They're not in, I mean, the, the entire leftist woke agenda that's been in going into our schools has kind of been exposed when Loudoun County exploded onto the national scene and issues related to critical race theory, kind of just like a cancer, you realize, oh my gosh, it's there. It's been there all along. So not they can't so if you think about their big E's, education, environment, energy, these three big E's, those are not going well for them. They're they're not. So you have to wonder what is it that Democrats are going to make the argument to you, the American public, to Charlotteans, to Mecklenburgites, to North Carolinians, what's the argument Democrats are going to make? Put us in charge. We've done such a fantastic job. Yes, we've been in control of Congress now for, you know, since the election. We're heading into our second year of being in control. Are you better off than you were three, four years ago? Is the world a safer place than it was three, four years ago? Do you feel safer as Americans than you did three, four years ago? Of course you don't. There's no logistical there's no logistical reality in which that that becomes – there's just – I mean, so you have to wonder. The Overton window, it's a phrase that, that – that it's, it's a phrase in politics and in the way that you frame an issue, the way in which you, the American public, you listeners to programs, it's the way you view a given issue. 
It's the way media and other people put stories together in a way that that's the only thing you view. You look through that Overton window, and that's the way you view a given issue. Russians are being given an Overton window because Russia controls the news. They control it. So they're controlling how Russians are seeing the war play out in Ukraine. Here, we have a discernible public. We have a public that has the ability, not always, because there's still a lot of people that wear masks in their cars by themselves. We know we know where you're looking at. We know where you're getting your news from. When we see you in your car, we know. It, it's kind of a giveaway. But we have the ability to look at and discern from different news outlets and, and, and look at our own philosophies and kind of put these pieces together. Democrats have an uphill climb this year. They do. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know of any given issue where they're going to be strong. The best issue they're going to have is they're not like other Democrats. Isn't it? That's the real shame for Democrats. They have to run away from their own kind. I'm not like him or her. I'm my own person as a Democrat running for office. That's what they're going to have to say. I'm not like them. Democrats have primary fights. Governor's taking a side on it. There's just a lot that's going on there. And and so I think Democrats are in a serious trouble here locally. I think they're – even in Charlotte, it may be that some Republicans win the Charlotte City Council races. It'd be phenomenal. As always, we appreciate you being a part of the Pete Callender Show. I am your guest host, Chad Adams. It has been an absolute honor and privilege you guys make it a lot of fun, and I look forward to hearing from you and seeing you or talking to you again in the near future. Welcome Pete back tomorrow. He's a great guy. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. <laughs>